0: us this morning. Thank you, Father, for um, truly a gorgeous day. Thank you for Mother's Day. Thank you for the mothers that we had. Uh, none of us had perfect mothers, and uh, but we had mothers that brought us into this world and, and gave us the opportunity to know you, and that is the greatest thing that we could ever receive. So today, uh, we ask that this passages the material on agape love which is at your heart which um, is part of a mother's heart part of a father's heart and we ask that we would truly understand and experience your love this day in Christ's name amen okay uh, I hey come on in hi good morning sit. Uh, this word agape uh, it's a Greek word uh, and uh, it is used in Greek literature and also exclusively in the New Testament for a particular kind of love and that's one of the limitations that we have in the English language that we use love in many different ways without having another, a way to define what kind of love that we have unless we use like an adjective to preface it but what are the other loves that you have all heard about and know about just so we could start there There's another kind of love called um, eros. (coughs) Tragically and unfortunately, mostly known to the American populace by red flashing lights in certain urban districts. That's too bad, because that's not what the original word eros meant. It truly meant... uh, It did have a connotation of sexual love, but uh, it, it mostly meant romantic love, but particularly it meant that kind of love that you would have for another person in which they were your lover. They were, they were it. They're the one that made your heart sing. And, you know, if that had a sexual component to it, you know, all the better from an erotic point of view, but that wasn't the exclusive definition of it. So it's been degraded in our culture. Blazing romantic love is what this is talking about. And what else? Uh, yes, phileos or Philos or philia um, I'm speaking at a funeral t- tomorrow between, uh, a, for, a, for a man that I wasn't that great of friends with I'd just known him for the last three years But his friend asked me to speak at the funeral On behalf of him uh, Has been friends with this guy for 50 years and I, at the end of the last three years I've been able to share in that 50 year friendship and it truly was a, just a, a, bl- a brilliant example of friendship love. <coughs> These guys really loved each other as friends and had this huge long history together <laughs> so this kind of love is not <coughs> uh, this kind of love, what are, what are some of the characteristics that you think that you feel is part of true friendship love? Uh, there's a sense of you know, loyalty, a special loyalty. Mm-hmm. Yes? Hey, come on in. Sit wherever you like. Uh, ch- you know, it's true caring for the other person, absolutely. But what what makes phylos different from eros? And you understand these blend, too, in the human experience. says... So Okay, so true friendship love isn't just rooted in the emotions. It's not just rooted in the emotions. It's deeper. It involves loyalty, true caring, Uh, starting moving towards family. But now that you bring that up, there's actually even a a familial, brotherly, or sisterly. But you brought family up, Judge. So now we have um, this Greek word that the Greeks used to refer to that particular kind of love that you feel exclusively for people that you regard as your kin. <laughs> so you know, uh, one of the great lines of uh, "Brother, where art thou?" You see that movie? I got to do for my, I got to do for me and mine. <laughs> I love that. I got to do for me and mine. So that notion of mine is all bound up in that. So why do you love that which is mine more than other people? What's that about? Why do you love your own, what you perceive to be your kin? I mean, after all, aren't we all related? Aren't we all in the one big family of God? So why do we make that distinction? Why do we call some mine and then we call other people the other, the others. You're not you're p- not part of mine. Why do we do that? Do you have in yeah, like what? <coughs> same ideas. Oh, not necessarily. Not in not in uh, family love. No, in fact, uh, you can talk to therapists and ministers. The, the worst times of the season for them are what? Holidays. The holidays. <laughs> Just <laughs> uh, because all the unresolved conflicts that are buried in families now get. Uh, exposed, and we're all supposed to get together for that special day and feel all warm and familial, and it doesn't work out that way because a lot of baggage is still there. But having said that, keep thinking about it. But nevertheless, we still show up. <laughs> Why do we do that? Aha! It may, it's a genetic thing, sure it is, of course, and on one level, these, these are the people that are the closest to you on the genetic trail. I mean, it gets down to the just something that simple. Because if people were really honest, I mean, if you were given a choice, like when you turned 18. Okay, out of the 27 people in your extended family, how many of you want to ratify this arra- relationship and continue it on? What do you think the score would be? <laughs> I mean, wouldn't that be a shocker? Okay, here. This is to notify you that yes, that for the first 18 years of my life, you were a family member, but from henceforth, we're not. And you're just going to be like somebody else in the world. I got that one. You did. <laughs> I'm sure people. Do, I, I'm sure people do it, but, but but it's not a it's not a common thing. That's the thing. So what makes us continue these relationships that sometimes may not really be that fruitful, or may be fraught with a lot of pain? Because, like, when we move over here, when we, t- we talk about the, s- you know, standard definitions of friendship, friendship is what? At its core. What do you, you mean? I have loyalty and all that stuff, but why do you become friends with certain people? Yes, why? Yeah, because you just like them. Because there's some, you know, rhythm between you. There's something about that person that you like, and there's something about you they like, and so you click. <coughs> Okay, th- that's probably very true. You know, you, you, you get this kind of love for other people because you would like to become like them in some way. You admire them. By hanging out with them, you, you sort of maybe feel like you've um, moved into an, a level there, uh, another higher level or a, a growth level. <clears throat> sure. Uh, yes, and uh, you're suggesting, what, that Storgay is like the nest, the original uh, place where you start, you know, getting those foundational lessons about who you are as a human being and all of the great, even if the answers are wrong. I mean, I, I was raised by a grandmother that told me that uh, everybody had a soul, and this is how I visualized it. It was like, a, she said it was kind of like a white blob, and she told me every time that um, you did something wrong in life, uh, there was a stitch put in your soul. A, a, you know, like a stitch of black thread. And that every time... And in, in that this just went on your whole life. And that when the, when the soul was all filled up with stitches, then you were sent to a place where you had to pick them out with your tongue. <laughs> and she told me that when I was four and told me that it was kind of rare, but I was so bad that my soul... <laughs> was well nigh filled up
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I mean what that did to me I have no idea and I when I w- when I grew up later I was like oh grandma wow how can you do that to somebody you know but um, yes that's why I do teaching and use my tongue right It's all rooted in that Freudian crisis yes
1: Yes, yes.
0: that doesn't happen, sometimes on my Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes.
0: That's a great way of putting it. Um, We're all in this together. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I think that God is working through all all of these different loves. But now to get back to my friend's question who left, uh, (laughs) which is fine. She had to go. Uh, This, then, is the fourth word that the Greeks decided to use uh, for another type of love. And then the apostles uh, took this word. Uh, out of Greek culture and said, we're going we're to reserve this word when we talk about God's love. Now, Dave has some extra copies. Who needs... Oh, one last now. It, anyone need a copy? Anybody else need a copy? That's okay. 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 So the apostles then, using the, the, the predominant language that they had available to them in that day which is Koine Greek, common Greek spoken all over the Roman Empire that's why they used that language it was the so called lingua franca of the era, what is the most predominantly spoken uh, word uh, language in the world today, English English is the equivalent of Greek in that culture, so if you want to reach the maximum amount of people you're going to use the language that most people can speak in so the apostles chose Greek instead of Hebrew, if they would have written in Hebrew then what? That'd be like a, a, an Islamic person today who tells you, huh, uh, have you read the Quran? Oh, yes, I have. Well, what version did you read? Well, the English, tra- no, no, you did not read the Quran. You read an English translation, that's not the Quran. You have to read it in the original Arabic. If you don't read it in the original Arabic, you're not reading the real Quran. So then you say What? Well, I guess I won't read the Quran. <laughs> Unless, you know, who's gonna there's like 1.2% of the human race that's gonna take that step to learn Arabic so they can read the original. So the apostles didn't use that technique. They they went common and they grabbed this word out of Greek literature and said, Every time we talk about God's love, we're gonna use this word. However, The problem that we have is if you go back into history, into Greek literature, and exclusively try to define agape that way, you're going to miss their point. What they actually do is take a word that exists and then infuse into that word a Christological meaning. In other words, they bring their own theology and stuff it into the word, then start using that word with the theology stuffed into it. So this is not just as easy as going back to some sort of a Greek dictionary and say, okay, well, how did the ancients use the the word agape? And you'll find a lot of interesting and cool stuff if you do that. Uh, They used it for the kind of special love, sacrificial love that some humans are capable of that is like altruistic. Altruistic. How many saw Great Gatsby? Aha! What happens when Nick... Tells Gatsby he's going to do this thing for him, bring his cousin over to the cottage, and blah blah blah, and and then Gatsby's like getting his mind blown. So he's like, oh, "Well, you know, hey, I know somebody in the stock market, and I can do this and this and this for you." And Nick Carraway says, "What? I, you don't have to do anything for me? What? I'm just, I'm just, it's a favor." And Gatsby goes, "A favor." You know, because he's been operating in the quid pro quo mode all of his life. I do this for you, you do this for me. That's how the world works. Here comes some guy that says, I'm just going to do something nice for you because it's a nice thing to do, and he can't process that. Okay, now, now we're starting to get towards what agape is in the ancient Greek literature. However, there's a lot more that went on with this word when the apostles took it over, and that's our task today. Okay, so before I go any further.
2: Could you talk a little bit, I'm taking advantage of having rescued the microphone. Could you talk a little bit about the end of John where uh, Jesus asks Peter to love in yeah, the, ch- in the there's two a different shades of it?
0: <coughs> yes. Let's do that because it's kind of fun. Uh, she's talking about John, the last chapter of the Gospel of John, and we'll get the precise verses for you. Um, if you have a Bible, it would be great to look at it. If you don't, if you could 21, find a friend.
2: 2115.
0: 2115. So Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, agape me more than these. Well, who do you think the, these is, by the way? I've always wondered about that. They're sitting on the side of the uh, shore, and they just caught 153 fish. They just spent the night fishing, and they caught nothing. Then the master said, throw throw the nets on the other side of the boat. They did, and they they counted them. They caught 153 fish. They could hardly bring it into the boat. So now they're sitting around the campfire, and the master says, do you agape me more than these? I always wondered what the these is. Is it the fish, or is it the other disciples? Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. This is like another one of those little things that the master could do, you know, is ask you a question, and you're like, exactly what did you mean by that? <laughs> uh, yes, it could have multiple meanings. I don't know the answer, but, but to Susan's point, the qu- first question to Simon is, do you, love, do you have this kind of love for me more than whatever else the object is that he's referring to? And Simon says... Oh, yes, Lord, you know that. What Greek word do you think is used there? You know that I feel this way about you. You know that I'm your friend. Interesting. Now, you have to understand they were speaking in Aramaic. So understand that they translated the nuances from Aramaic into the Greek so they could get this connotation. Please come in if you want to. Or you can stand there and be a stranger and excluded from the main group, and go. <laughs>
2: well, I think it's interesting that Jesus asks him, I think, twice the agape, and then. Oh yeah, yeah. And Peter keeps saying filiae, and then he says, "Okay, so do you love? Do you filiate me?" And he says. Yes. All
0: right. Well, then the next verse, verse 16. Jesus said again to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah. you love me this way? And uh, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that. You know that you're my my good friend, maybe my best friend. Then the master says, well, if that's true, what does he tell him to do? Okay, if if that's the way you feel about me, then do what? What's he telling Peter to do? Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, then, 17, the third time, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you... Now, he, he switches it. Pardon me? Because I'm reading the Greek. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is why I'm not trying to be some pedantic professor up here. The reason that I'm unpacking all these words and all this is because words have meaning attached to them, and they use them in particular and specific ways, and if we really want to understand what they're talking about, we have to understand what the meaning of the words are. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, it is fascinating. They're, they're doing wordplay here. So then Simon, well, what, what does the text say? Uh, what, how does Peter feel? What's this? And you have to remember, there's, there's like, I don't know how many there are there, five or six. They're sitting around a little campfire. I mean, he's got the spotlight zero right in on him, you know. <laughs> Simon, do you, do you really love me? Why do you ask him three times, by the way? Because he denied him three times. So this is a backdoor way of the master allowing him to do what? Make up, confess, renounce, repudiate his denials, embrace his confession. That's cool, but how many would have liked to have gone through that experience? <laughs> a, a vocal examination by the master by the campsite with every, all your friends looking on. So yeah, he's quite distressed that he's getting it put to him. So and then he says to him a third time, Um, Simon, do you love me this way? And Peter said to him the third time, I I love you. Uh, You know all things. You know that I love you. So what do we learn from this? Who wants to venture into the psychological waters that the Lord said twice do you love me this way Peter keeps saying no I, I love you this way okay maybe this is outside of Peter's then current range of experience like this is the highest thing he can say like if you really get into teenagers if you like teenage culture at some point in their developmental existence what happens to them Friends become more important than family. You, you know this, right? I mean, you, the family's still there, but this is the driver. And so that's where Peter's at right now. He's a spiritual teenager, and he's really saying the best that he can do. I, I really, you're like my best friend. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it would be dangerous to take this text and stuff too much stuff into it. But I mean, if he understood what this word was supposed to mean, and if he understood what this mean, word means, then we could translate this conversation like Peter sa- or Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, um do you love me with an all-consuming, sacrificial life that, or love that would cause you to give up everything for me and do everything for me and put me first above all things? And Peter would, the response to that is, uh, hey, I, I like you, dude. <laughs> 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 uh, and then he says, well, okay, uh, well then, if you like me, then you know, do these things. Now let me ask you again, do you love me with an all-consuming, self-sacrificial love that would cause you to be given up everything for me and put me first above all things, and I would just be Jesus, 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 and totally in love with me. And Peter says, "Ah, dude, I like you. You're my friend. I mean, yes. Can you imagine? Do you see this conversation going on here? Um, And I I agree with Susan, you know? I mean, you can only say where you're at. He could have... Said what we tend to say as humans. Yes, of course I love you with an all-consuming love. In fact, didn't he have just said that a couple days earlier when he told the master what? What did he just learn over the last few days? The master said to him, "Yeah, uh, you're going to deny me." And Peter said, "Well, I'll never deny you. Uh, I'll go to, I'll go with you to death." And then when the, when it, when it came to it, then what happened? He denied him. So, I mean, Peter's, being, Peter's been, as Jesus said, he's been sifted by Satan. He has been sifted to the core of his consciousness. And he realizes now, yeah, it's really easy at the campfire to say, yes, I will go with you unto death. <laughs> then when the point of uh, time comes, you find out, um, I like you, but um, second. Sacri- like Philia? Philia? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Today, it's very hard to transcend beyond the Agape. The constant struggle. Yes. It would have been for yes, them. it would have been for them, too. And I thank you for helping. What more than, you know, you're my brother.
3: You know, yeah,
0: I've You're my brother. You're Thank you. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Really love me. I love
3: that
2: song
0: <laughs> And that's great. I mean, thank you. That's exactly what's going on here. Yes. I love you, but, but if it's going to be...
2: But if you expect me to sacrifice for you, forget it. In other words, if I'm going to get arrested and beaten up or killed, that's too much.
0: Okay, but all of these require some form of sacrifice, right? I mean, if you have a family, there's going to be sacrifices. Uh, you would get involved in a romantic relationship... Yeah, unless the woman's really been straightened out, there's always going to be a lot of compromising. <laughs> sorry, now that really was the biggest joke of all time. I just want to make you laugh on Sunday morning. Not being. I know, I know, I know. I, I'm sorry. This requires sacrifice. Well, what John is saying, these are like measured levels of sacrifice. I'll sacrifice it to this point. When you get up into this, now it's. A DIFFERENT KIND OF LOVE. NOW SOMEBODY WAS GOING TO SAY,
1: YES, SIR. BUT, but do, DOESN'T IT SEEM JUST A LITTLE BIT OUT OF CHARACTER THAT THE MASTER RESPONDED WITH A COMMAND OF WORKS OF SERVICE, RATHER THAN SAYING, come to, the, COME TO MY FATHER AND YOU WILL UNDERSTAND. YOU KNOW WHAT I MEAN? HE DIDN'T GO INTO A SPIRITUAL TEACHING. HE GAVE HIM A COMMAND OF SERVICE.
0: THANK YOU. NOW, IF WE PUT THIS LITTLE... These are called pericopes, these little stories. We put this little pericope of the uh, encounter on the beach with the fish and the interaction between Jesus and Peter in its context. This is somewhere within that 40-day period in which the Master is episodically appearing to them. Prior to that was the crucifixion. The night before the crucifixion was John 13-17. through 17 and they have this Passover dinner in which the master tells them all of that stuff. He tells them things like, you know, I have so many more things to tell you, but you can't handle it right now. Uh, But believe me, you're gonna get your mind blown because God's gonna come and live inside of you, and I'm gonna come and live inside of you, and the Spirit's gonna come, and he's waxing on, and these guys have already had four cups of wine. (laughs) I mean, come on. So did they get what he was talking about? I study this passage with modern-day Christians all the time. We sit there with a text. It's all the lights are on, no wine, and we can't even get it. I mean, this was mind-blowing for them. So then they go through this whole experience, and Jesus is still leading them up to, there has to be this 50-day period, right? Because on the 50th day, what did he tell them? In that day, he keeps telling them, in that day, something's going to happen. What happened? Yes, yes. God, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, and Jesus came to live inside of them. But this event is still prior to Pentecost. So they're still not fully illuminated. And even then, <clears throat> I mean, you can go all the way to 49 AD just because They received this full experience of God's love there. It doesn't mean that they were perfect because you go to 49 A.D. and read Galatians chapter 2 and you find out Peter really messed up again because he started smuggling the doctrine of works into the doctrine of grace and he and Paul had a little altercation about that you can read about it in Galatians 2 so don't don't get the impression that the Bible is naive and says "Oh, hey, all you got to do is have a cosmic experience with God's love and then you'll be perfect the rest of your life I mean there are some theologies that teach that but you guys mostly are Presbyterians (laughs) and Presbyterians have always said what we're so wicked that we can't conceivably agree to the notion that any human being could ever be perfected in this life. Now you can have cool cosmic experiences but you're never gonna be perfect. Is this, did I do a brilliant job of, of reducing reform theology on that topic, David? No, I did not. I'm, I'm trying to grow into it. Okay, so what's the point? That uh, he was not yet ready then, then he has the Pentecost experience And then they start getting moved into the experience of this. And they didn't learn about agape love by going back to a Greek classical dictionary and say, hmm, if we want to talk about the love of God, what word should we use? They didn't do it that way. They had these cosmic experiences of God and then they went through the available vocabulary and they said, well, that's not gonna work because agape is bigger than our experience of storge, and that's not going to work, although they sometimes do use erotic imagery. But they say, we can't use that exclusively because people will think we're a pagan um, uh, prostitute cult. And we just can't use that because it's not big enough. So then they grab the only word available to them, and then they started stuffing their theological experiences into that word. So now what we have to do is figure out, well, what did they mean when they use this word? yes. It's fascinating, and and it might not be of interest, but made made your note in my heart and mind as you were explaining, you know, just what you said. They basically had to redefine agape. Yes, they did. Uh, As we believe, these men were ordained by God, followers of
1: Christ. Um, They took this, they redefined the word as followers of Christ, which would be ordained, it's almost, it brought life to that word.
0: Yes, it, it, it took everything that was good about the word in the past and breathed new life into it, breathed the living God into it. Right. Made it it really almost come. became a breathing... Well, you know, you're, you're anticipating exactly where I want to go, so can I just follow your lead? Please. <laughs> I want you to go to 1 John chapter 4 and find the, the ultimate definition of agape. John gets around to defining it. I don't know if you've read John enough to realize that his writing style is different from Paul's. Is anybody, would anybody agree to that? Uh, John's writing style is um, simpler and more direct. And he likes to define things. John is big on defining He'll say, This is what sin is. Sin is breaking the law. Uh, This is what God is. And and he tells us. So when you get to uh, verse 8, what does he say? He gives you a definition of God God is agape. Now, you remember when Bill Clinton made famous the verb is? It's good lawyers teach us. Pay attention to language. Is means is. So, it all depends on what is means. <laughs> Let's find out what it, What does that mean? God, you could say God has agape, or God, but when you say God is agape, now what are you saying? <laughs> agape isn't a uh, is, it's not a thing. It's not a quality. It's not a, um, it's not a commodity. It's not something that you, that you as humans can pe- possess as an impersonal thing. What is it? I misled you with my question. Whoa, 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 Wait. <laughs> I know i'm I'm addicted to it. Uh, how about this? Agape is a person. No, okay. tell us why. Okay, ask your question.
2: Agape.
0: How do you define agape in relationship to the John 1, 1 through 5, where it talks about the word? The, uh, it, the same way. Uh, in the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God, and, and the Logos was God. So you, if you wanted to theologically, you could also say, because John has already made an equation that says that the Logos is a person, in relationship to the ultimate God, which is eventually where we, you know, blossomed out of this experience, the the doctrine of the Trinity. So you could also do that. Theologically, you can do it. The logos is is agape. Anonymous? Anonymous. anonymous. Oh, yes, there's... Well, now, wait a second. Uh, You mean, you, you couldn't reverse it and say agape is God, that's why he's got it phrased the way that he does because if you said it that way, the tendency would be to, to make agape into a thing and then you'd be wind up believing that God is a thing. And you don't want to do that. So that's why he starts with God who is a person and then he says this person is agape so therefore you can come to the conclusion realistically that the definition, the proper definition of agape is it's not a thing or a quality or a feeling but actually is God. And God's a person. Now, if you buy into that, what changes? What happens? Yes, Susan?
2: If you say personification, does that change anything?
0: Uh, it does, because personification is a literary technique when you take an abstract quality and you, and you make it into a person so that other people can relate better to the quality. So, for example, go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, and you will see the classic Old Testament example of personification. Uh, in fact, two personifications. Uh, find there the cheater Bible headline, and what does it say that this chapter is about? Proverbs, chapter 9. Let's get a modern version, and let's get you got an old school? Wisdom's Feast. Wisdom's feast. Uh, well, st- and what is does yours say? invitations of wisdom and folly and the way that the author does this is he describes wisdom as a woman and folly as a woman notice it's not an anti-female thing it's just you could have done it the other way too you could have done male both ways but there is these two women once called wisdom once called folly they both make their appeals to the human race And it's a very poetic thing. It describes wisdom as having a house. She goes out to the street. She calls to the children of men. She says, come to my house. Eat. I have wine. I have meat. I have a really cool place. You can hang out and get your head blown open. Then the other woman says, no, you should come to my house. That woman is called foolishness, folly. And she takes people to her house and gives them scraps of bread and water, holds them in captivity, and winds up corrupting their souls. Now, how many of you think there is actually a, uh, it would make a great rock song. In fact, I actually put this song to music. Uh, I, d- I, put th- I put this passage to music. I, I, you don't like rock music. <coughs> I, I, <laughs> that's why I don't sing it, yeah. Okay, so the point is what? That, uh, do you think there's a, a, a woman named Wisdom that sits somewhere and actually calls to the children of men? There's a supreme woman named Foolishness that is actually a living entity that calls. And that's personification. So, if you, but you can imagine going over to a really wise woman's house, and she's like very beautiful, like something out of uh, Lord of the Rings, like Galadriel. You know, and she comes down in her white gown, just blows your mind with her wisdom. You can imagine that happening. That would be cool. And then you can go through that picture and get back to the notion that God is wisdom. Yes?
3: I, I have a question. No, have, go for is it. is our struggle here because you're saying that agape is a person and then we then are saying is god a person? It so might be. It that, could be. Thank is you. Is that the struggle because we are not used to saying god is a person? Thank you. Okay.
0: What do you th- now let's go down that path. Do you think god is a person and what do we mean when we use the term
1: person? We stick together. <laughs> This is the other part. Um, so, back to your original question. Then, it takes love out of a um, five senses experience. Yes. You ask what what it does when we think of, of what this, happens when we start when thinking this way. We personify. This, right. It yeah. takes it out of a human nature's senses experience and puts it into a spiritual relationship f- uh, phase um, mm-hmm. what am I trying to say with,
0: with a spirit being with a being who is a spirit, God and that being is a person and that might maybe if I use the term being instead of person because when humans use the term person they almost always refer to humans, you don't really speak to your, about your dog as yes my dog is a very interesting person Uh, why don't we do that? Because we don't think that they are persons. So maybe that's where the confusion is. What if I say, uh, God is agape, that means agape is a being. Better? Good, I mean, this is great, because I learned. Like, in the little chapter that I wrote, I actually go in there and I try to explain what what we mean by person. But I mean, I'd be happy to amend it it if it clicks better. Yeah, okay, now, go ahead, sir. Uh, farther up <coughs> it says uh farther up uh love comes from God, yes, so uh, instead of having it's kind of like a word's missing, God is a source of
1: love mm-hmm. and it, it's a, he's what originates where where love this love originates yes. from right right right
0: yeah so i they're not contradictory Um, When he says love, agape, is from God, he's saying that every time you have this experience of this kind of agape, as we define it, you are having an authentic experience with God. That's where the source of it is, but ultimately, on the next level up, you come to find out that, yes, as as you are ascending... Uh, You have the experience of agape, and you say, that's incredible that God could love me that much. But then you keep going, and you find out what? Behind the experience that you had of how much Jesus loves you, you ascend into what? You ascend into the being that is agape. Does that make sense? So they're both true. One's just at at that still level of experience that love is sort of like an experience or a thing. And the other is looking at, yes, it is. It's, It's my experience of a, ultimately, of a being. Now, this might be not helpful to you, but I think it's helpful eventually. It's pretty hard at first. I know it sounds weird at first. Yes, Peter could have learned a lot from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what I will say is, I believe Peter got to it a lot quicker than I did in my lifetime. I think after, after they, uh, after they went through these experiences of being. Uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and everything, I mean, they quickly ascended into it. So, unfortunately, what, they're not going to go back and amend all this stuff and put a footnote on it and say, yeah, this is how I was when I was a spiritual teenager. However, in subsequent years, Christ completely illuminated my consciousness, and I came to understand that He was a person. They don't do that. They leave it there. Why? Why do they leave all their flaws and foibles and So see, you can see the difference so that we can see them stumbling through the progression. And in, in their stumblings, we can see our stumblings. We're all stumbling together in, into this notion of the height of what God is. Yes. Um, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but um, however you define evolution, if you take atheistic radical naturalism off the table, I don't think anybody that's studied anything about science can deny that at the very least, microevolution takes place. Are we agreed? Change with, Changing within species, right? We all know this is true. And we now know, based on the study of science, that this process of, of microevolution, at the least, has been going on for how long? I mean, either all the scientists in the world are completely wrong, or it's been going on for a very long time. So in the physical world, God is doing something. God is evolving the experience of life. And I think that's a great way of analogically looking at the spiritual world. We are evolved and we ascend into higher and higher abilities to understand and experience God as we keep going. And what the Bible does is show us the, I, you want know, to call it the levels, I, I don't want it to be thought of as superior, but it would be no different than taking in, in this level, do you think and believe that humans are uh, higher on the chain of uh, evolution, of development than chimpanzees? Yes or no? Good. I spoke at Massillon Library last night and had a great conversation with a young lady that told me, no, chimps are the same as humans. We're all the same, and it was great. I mean, you had a good ch- interchange on it, um, but you know no they're not they''re they're at a, they're at a different level than we are uh, i'm not saying that we're i'm not saying that we're uh better than them in the sense of that we have the right to do anything to them, but we're a more advanced, evolved life form agreed please <laughs> 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 so in the physical realm there are more advanced life forms in the spiritual realm there are more advanced life uh, spiritual life experiences and so what the Bible does is take you on this spiritual evolutionary journey from one stage of love into another until it finally blows your mind at the end of the Bible with this revelation yes 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 we've been talking about all this experiencing all these things and using agape as a thing as a quality but now we're going to blow your mind even further. The, the fundamental being of the whole universe is... The fundamental being of the whole universe is agape love. Okay. That's, that's who God is. Now we have first on one... Team. No, Jack was first got, for sure. No, he's oh, he's got the mic. All right, one, two, and then three.
2: Okay, I'll try to be quick. In case I haven't alarmed you already... Um, God is agape to me seems to mean to shut off my mind and engage in silent worship. For example, if God is agape and you elect me president, I should turn all of our nukes over to North Korea, okay? (laughs) Love your enemy, do good to them. On the other hand, it also means God is coming at the end of time to slaughter, kill, murder. Now, do I understand that? Not even close. So the response is, fall flat on my face with my mind turned off in awe and wonder.
1: Well... Uh... <laughs>
2: How many of you have Go this? Ahead, look, John. I want to hear this. How many?
0: How many of you have this chapter uh, that that is from the book? If you could find the page three, the very first page, there's this text that is from the Book of Ephesians, and I bolded one um, section in it just to highlight this concept. Uh, I'm, I'm going to read that, and then we'll talk about try to synthesize what John said with this. I pray that out of God's glorious riches, are are you all with me? God may strengthen you with power through God's spirit in your inner person so that Christ may be experienced in your hearts through faith. And in this love, being rooted and established. Now he's talking about agape all the way through. So let me amend it. And in this agape being rooted and established that all of you may have power together with all those in Jesus to fully experience how wide, long, high, deep, and to know experientially Christ's agape. Not our agape or what we think agape is (coughs) or our definitions, our dictionary definitions of it, but actually the way Christ really is. He's saying that we can experience that. That does what? Surpasses knowledge. So, John, I don't know about turning off the mind completely. Uh, I spent a portion of my life doing that with the aid of LSD, and there's some weird places that you can go when you stop using your mind. No one else need comment on that. I'm just telling you that <laughs> that actually was a mantra in the 60s. Turn off. Turn off your mind and just go into some sort of... C- well, no... We don't want to do that, but you want to accept the fact that this, at its highest, is a being, is a personality, and the experience of it surpasses what Understand. our p-brained knowing of it. But so I don't want to leave. I don't want to shut my mind off, and I don't want to leave behind all this. But I want to go into it at the highest level that I can and accept. Yes, I'm finite. And I'm engaged with the infinite God who is at the core of God's being, agape love. That's pretty exciting, because now it takes the pressure off me. I don't have to define everything. I can experience God. But at the same time, I'm still a human, so I still have to know some stuff. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, right.
2: John, is it possible to superimpose all of this uh, with the concept of kairos? Uh, the transcendency issue is, is part of what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, now Jack is going back to uh, an idea about time. In fact, Jack, it's really great that you brought that up because I can use the original diagram here. Um, if we look at the Christian story, the biblical story, you know, we, st- we, we know God, we start out with a creation quickly followed uh, by a fall, and then we start this whole process of redemption. And so, uh, you know, eventually God starts working with one group of people because apparently the human race is turned away from God, called the Jews. And eventually, just to cut to the chase, he gives them a Torah or a law comprised of 613 commandments, and they enter into a covenant and they say, we promised to live this way. How'd that work out? <laughs> and, you know, we read the Bible and say, how could you do that? Well, the, the story is supposed to be like a big mirror, you're not supposed to read it and say, you know, the Jews are pretty stupid. You're supposed to read it and say, what? I'm
3: pretty wow!
0: Look at what we've done. So we've all failed, and then, of course, then Jack used this term, kairos, you know, the, the cosmic moment. The, instead of just chronos, in other words, time marching on as we slog through this veil of tears... At a particular point in time-space history, God did the ultimate Chironic thing, entered into time-space history in the person of Jesus. God, who is agape, actually became one of us and then is attempting to take us out of this mire and move us to the highest level of experience that is possible. Now, what do you think that looks like? Yes, an onion. Now, in the, C.S. Lewis gives this, this is the best metaphor ever. In the last book, Chronicles of Narnia, it's called The Last Battle. In the last chapter, he gives this image. And he says, entering into Narnia, which is a, a, just a literary construction for God, for, for who God is, is like entering into an onion. But, he, but the professor says, but when you enter into an onion in this world, what happens? It, it gets uh, smaller until you get to the, the actual finite center of the onion. But he says the cosmic onion, which is God, is reversed. The deeper you go into God, guess what? The circles don't get smaller. What happens? They get bigger. So there's an infinite expansion. That's why people that think they're going to be bored in heaven after a million years are missing the point. It, it's not going to be a static experience. It's going to be an, an eternal progression into God who is agape. So, that yes, that's it. This is the Chironic moment, and God wants us to now go here into this experience, not linger back here Uh, Worrying about ethics and quoting, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'm sorry, that's not true. It got amended. It got a footnote put on it. What's now the greatest commandment? Love others the way I have loved you. What do you think is easier, to love others the way Jesus loved us? Or to love others as you love yourself? This was a stage. Now Christ has amped it up. And you get to this place, and Dan, this is your question. Well, now, why is he going to give us this assignment? I want you to love everybody with agape. I want you to let me, who is agape, go through you to other people. Why would he give us something that we can't do? Yeah, thank you. Yes. I'll give you an assignment that you cannot do on your own so that you must then allow me to do it in and through you. And in that way, we will live life on a much more intimate level. So the last text we have time for today is Romans 5.5. 5. And if you could turn there, if you have a Bible, you'll see where and how God does this. God does something for every person who is in Christ. Uh, who has the text that could read it for us briefly? Thank you, Brian. Oh. And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. All right, since I'm the only one drinking out of this, I can do this. <clears throat> so what's the image in a metaphor? Where does agape come from? What what happens? God pours it into us. Who pours it into us? God, the Holy Spirit. God pours God into us is what he's really ultimately saying. Not a thing called agape. God actually pours God into us. That's what a... A, a being redeemed human being is as a human being who now has the living God living inside of them so now you have the very same person who allowed himself to be put up on a cross for our salvation living inside of you you have that very same person think about that so when when people come into your life that you say uh, not only do I not love this person I don't like this person then every one of us has that choice uh, all the time. We can try to muddle through and deal with it in our own natural abilities, or we can say, <coughs> okay, uh, that text that we just read says that Christ d- demonstrated his agape for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for the worst of us, so he, Christ had the capacity to look at us and look at us the way God does and love us despite the fact that we are not very lovable and now Christ says I'm living inside of each one of you and if you let me I will do that through you I will love other people through you the same way that I loved you when I died for you on the cross I think that's the most amazing thing I, I, I just can't get over the notion of it yes go ahead
3: I'm, I'm trying to put together lessons from the past but you just highlighted it I am agape with a small a Uh, when you poured that water in if you had just gotten a little bit at the bottom of the glass that might have identified me that there's been some pouring and I'm struggling with it but it's a small a and then I'm putting that together with your lesson from the past is the whole thrust that if if God is inside me uh, therefore I am agape, since God is in me, uh, but uh, a small yeah. a, because I'm on this trip that you've defined to become the perfect bride yes. in, in, in a time that uh, yes. developing perfection, but agape, I, I'm trying to deal with the small a agape and the large a agape, just a little bit of that water's been poured into me. Uh, I,
0: no, no, all of it's been poured into you, but here, all analogies break down. My professors always said, don't make them walk on all fours, which meant don't don't push them out to the snapping point. They always break down. But let's, I'm going to speak about me instead of you. You say, I've only had a little bit poured in. (laughs) So this is what you're telling me that you feel like. That's how you feel like. But it isn't true. In reality, you're filled with God's love. But the other reality that I have experienced in my life is, this is me or my capacity to love. So, when I am using my my capacity to love, the little chunk of ice, when I'm living off that ice, instead of what God's put inside of me, then it feels little. But to the degree that I stop relying on me, then what happens is, is that my experience of God grows, and I begin to experience the fullness of God's love that was always there. So, get this spatial image if you were living inside of this ice cube and that was your range of experience your natural abilities then you would think even though you're floating in a sea of love you would say it doesn't feel that awesome so what the new testament is trying to tell us to do is stop relying on on our capacity to love and let the fullness of god's love that's already inside of you become your experience is that making sense I'm not on LSD right now, I promise. <laughs> okay, time's up. We got to go. Um, I'll talk to you in a second, John. Okay, so have a great Mother's Day. Thanks for coming, and I'll see you next week. Uh, the, the assignment for next week is to read the next chapter, uh, Returning to God is Glory, and we'll talk about that when we get back, and hopefully the books will be here too. So have a beautiful day.